Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. And let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so fortunate to be able to live in a country that allows us to gather freely to proclaim your word, Lord. There, there may be times where that won't be the case. I hope that you are preparing us to be able to prepare ourselves to share your gospel no matter the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Help us to take advantage of the current culture that we have to be able to share your word freely. We pray all this. Amen. I want to give you guys a little fun fact. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I'm going to imagine most of you do know this. But for those of you that, that maybe do not know this, but I'm imagining all of us do know, firefighters do not wait for fires to come to them. Firefighters go to the fire itself in order to put the fire out. So firefighters, I guess it could be say, do not just sit there and you know pray for rain or hope for rain to happen so the fire will be extinguished. They actually bring water itself to the fire. It'd be kind of pointless to see a firefighter fight a fire without bringing the necessary armaments, ammunition, in this case H2O, to the burning building. Firefighters actually do more than just fight fires. They actually save people from fires. So not only are they putting fires out, but they're saving those who are in fires. Again, we were born into danger. We were born into condemnation. Jesus came to us, and he brought the fight to us as he offered his living water. And that actually is the title for our sermon this morning. Living water. Living water. As already stated, we're going to be finished or starting. We just finished up actually chapter three of John. We're starting chapter four of the gospel of John this morning. We're looking at verses one through 15. Last time, just two Sundays ago, we must not forget that we finished John chapter three and we were encouraged to know that how we respond to the son of God actually determines our destiny. Our future is determined on our response to who Jesus is. Our future is determined by how we respond to his testimony. That's how chapter 3 ended. This testimony, and we can't forget, since we've already established multiple times this morning, not just by myself, but by Mike this morning, he just a few minutes prior to myself established the same notion. We can't forget this in the fact that we can't forget is that all of this testimony that we're talking about, it derives from God because Jesus is God himself. Now see, if we believe in Jesus' testimony, we can be encouraged because we are spared from the wrath of God. And that is something that is very important for us. We live from that blessing that he has given us. So today we're going to continue with this. We're going to cover the account of Jesus, and then we're going to start and do half of the story with him, with the woman at the well. Specifically, we're going to be covering the first part, and ultimately, we're going to be encouraged in these two things, 
We're going to be encouraged in God's mercy, and we're going to be encouraged in God's grace. And we're going to be encouraged ultimately, finally, in His living water. Say no more. Let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. So then the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that He was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself was not baptizing, rather His disciples were. He left Judea and went away to Galilee. And He passed through Samaria. So He came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired from His journey, was just sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to the draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For His disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to Him, how is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jesus, or for, excuse me, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus replied to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw water. Amen. As we look at these 15 verses this morning, we're going to go ahead and put them into this one simple sentence that defines everything that we see happening here. And this is great encouragement to us as we have saving faith in Jesus. And that sentence states this, Physical water only quenches thirst whereas living water quenches death. Physical water only quenches thirst, whereas living water quenches death. We're going to live the rest of our lives on this earth always being in need of more H2O. Our thirst will never be satisfied completely. It may be satisfied temporarily, but not completely. But the living water that we hear Jesus talking about here this morning will satisfy us for all of eternity. So let's go ahead and take a look at these first three verses this morning. And when I look at these first three verses, it reminds me of the book by George Orwell, 1984. Some of you have heard of the book 1984, but a now famous phrase was first utilized in this book, and it was that phrase, Big Brother is watching you. That's right. Big Brother is watching you. You And who's being watched here as we look at this text? Actually, judging from verse 1, I would say Big Brother is watching Jesus. What does it say? The Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. The Pharisees heard. They didn't hear by chance. 
But they heard by way of keeping a constant eye on Jesus. Now, why would they want to keep a constant eye on Jesus? Well, it's simple. It's the same message that we try our best. It's the same message that you should hold us accountable to, no matter who it is in this pulpit preaching on a Sunday morning. It's the message of repentance and the kingdom, the same message that John started off with in the beginning of his gospel. It was the message of John the Baptist prior to Jesus himself being baptized, and it is the message that ultimately comes from God himself, and Jesus in human form as God, he shared the same message, repentance and the kingdom, and the Pharisees, as the rulers over the Jews, did not like that message because that message forces us to go to God Himself because of His mercy and His grace, all of which we're going to see abundantly clear in this text this morning. Now, we do not know exactly, understand how Jesus knew, because it's very clear that he knew that they had been hearing about him. We don't know exactly how. We don't want to go ahead and make a statement and say, well, this is exactly how. But I think we can look at three things that can indicate how Jesus actually knew. He drew his conclusion either from his omniscience, which actually just means that God is all-knowing. So Jesus, as God, knows all. He may have known because of his receiving divine revelation, and this would have either come from the Father Himself or from the Holy Spirit, or simply He could have just heard through the grapevine. Individuals passing along information. However, in verse 2, we realize that the Pharisees quite clearly are playing the game of telephone. See, telephone, remember, is that game where you start off with one message and then by the time it gets to the last person, what the last person heard compared to what the first person said, they are two totally different statements with different meanings, and it becomes very confusing. Well, we know from the text here that the Pharisees did not have their full story in order. See, Jesus wasn't even baptizing. They had heard that Jesus was baptizing more than John, but he wasn't even baptizing, and our evidence is right here in the text. It was his disciples. It says his disciples were. So let me ask you this question. Which is worse? Is it worse for Jesus to be baptizing? Is it, is it worse for Jesus, the baptizing one-man army? Or Jesus, commander of the Lord's army, adding soldiers underneath His rank who are doing the baptizing? See, my argument would stick with the latter. I think it's far more dangerous in the eyes of the Pharisees, I think it's far more dangerous in the eyes of the world that Jesus' disciples were doing the baptizing. He was bringing soldiers into His kingdom. They were the ones who were following His lead. This is how the message spreads. In fact, it's probably why it says here, He left Judea and went away again to Galilee. See, His following was growing. Jesus knew that it was time to pick up and move on. And he didn't want to provoke a premature confrontation because God's timing is perfect. 
and he knew it was time to move, he had already started to assemble the army that he had there. And after all, at this point in time, Jesus knew that his time hadn't come yet. As we stated at the beginning, we believe in the person and work of Jesus. His person is God. His work is his death, burial, and resurrection. His time hadn't come yet. It was time to move on and gather more disciples until that time actually came. So as we continue to move through the section of Scripture, we look at verses 4 through 6, and now this is very significant as Jesus traveled to Sychar because more disciples equals more salvations. Therefore, Jesus came here to Sychar to recruit another disciple. That's what He's doing. Brothers and sisters... We're disciples too. So everything that you're about ready to hear for the rest of our sermon today and then on into next Sunday, don't forget that. This account with the woman at the world, do not forget that we are disciples too. We are disciples who make disciples and we're seeing Jesus do this with this woman at the world. The Lord will use us to share his message about his kingdom. The Lord uses us to share His message about repentance. You know, repentance, turning away from your sin and turning back towards God. See, His kingdom and His message of repentance represents His mercy and His grace. Therefore, as His disciples were an army of soldiers equipped to share that message. The message actually states this, and this is like an easy layman's terms of, of, of you know, sharing this message with somebody else. We could say things like, in His compassion, He has given us the free gift of salvation. Despite our being born into sin, as long as we repent, believe, and receive eternal life. Everything in the Bible has everything to do with our life to come, not our life now. Our life now is really all about sharing our life to come with others. My security is found in the eternal, not the temporal. And the same is true for all of you because of what Jesus has done for us. See, we're about ready to witness him testify about the woman at the well. This is the disciple that he has set his focus on to make which is the same message we testify about to people at the well in our lives at the proverbial water cooler. So really, you could just look at it the same. Brothers and sisters, we all need something. All of us. Each and every one of us, we all need something. We are all born with that hole in our soul yearning for something to fill it, and we fill it with everything that we shouldn't, only making that hole even bigger. See, we all need something that we do not deserve, and we all need something that we could never earn. And absolutes get used every once in a while, and when an absolute gets used, it should be for good reason, and you better be certain that you're using it for that reason itself. Never could we ever earn our salvation. 
But that's something that we're talking about that leads to our salvation, that which we don't deserve and we could never earn, is God's mercy and God's grace. Just like firefighters don't wait for the fire to come to them, Jesus didn't wait either. He came full of mercy and He came full of grace and He came to where it was needed. Right here, as it says in our text, by the well, about the sixth hour. And this brings us to our first point this morning. That point states this. The Lord uses mercy and grace to recruit His disciples. The Lord uses mercy and grace to recruit His disciples because if you know that you need that something, if you know that that something that you need can never be earned and it's definitely not deserved, then you understand the mercy and grace of our Lord. He came to us. He didn't wait. And we need to follow His example. We need to look for opportunities to go to others as well with the same message about mercy and grace. And if you understand your need for mercy and grace, you're going to be better equipped to share that truth with somebody else as they come to a realization that they need the Lord's mercy and grace too. Again, our main idea this morning states this, physical water only quenches thirst, whereas living water quenches death. Now, like a firefighter goes into a burning building, Jesus, it's already been established, came to the well because he knew that, what does it say? A woman of Samaria came to draw water. He knew all this. See, as we know from John 3.17, Jesus did not come to judge, did he? It's very clear in the third chapter of John, which we covered a few Sundays ago, Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to save. And we're here we have Him bringing His message of mercy and grace to a woman of Samaria. See, this account reflects Jesus' condescension. See, condescension is this. I'm going to define it for you. His leaving His holy position in heaven in order to become a man and atone for the sin of the world. So, Jesus condescended from heaven. He left heaven, took on human form in order to share His message of His kingdom and repentance, all the while displaying His mercy and grace. So like He chose to leave heaven, He chose to come to this particular well for this particular woman, and He makes this one particular demand. What does he say to her? He says, give me a drink. He's not asking. He's telling. He's saying, give me a drink. So in verses 9 through 10, the Samaritan woman's response is actually interesting for a pair of reasons. First, she's a little bit puzzled that a Jewish man would ask her for a drink. And this is because Jewish men weren't even permitted to talk to the women in their own family while out in public. So if Jewish men couldn't speak to the women in their own family in public, they sure as heck could not speak to a woman they didn't know in public either. And here is Jesus, a Jewish man, demanding that a Samaritan woman give him a drink of water in public. 
Now, getting water from the well was the responsibility of women in that society. That was their job. That was their duty. One of their chores was to go to the well and get water for the family. So it wasn't, you know, out of the ordinary to see a woman at the well. That wasn't what was out of the ordinary. You need to remember something. What's actually out of the ordinary is this. It says it was about the sixth hour. Now, according to Jewish time, which was a little bit different than Roman time at this time in history, according to Jewish time, this was high noon. This was around lunchtime that she was going to get the water. See, the women usually drew water in the evening, so it wasn't really adding up. This woman was coming at the sixth hour at noon when she should have been coming around 6, 7 p.m., maybe 5 p.m., sometime in the evening. That's when all the other women would have gone to the well. Now, the Samaritan woman then was doing this for one reason and one reason only. See, she was doing it to avoid the gossip. Not because she was, you know, on this new kick where she wasn't going to gossip anymore. She didn't want to be, you know, tempted to gossip, so she was trying to avoid gossip. That wasn't the case. In fact, she was doing this because she wanted to avoid the gossip about herself. Now, the fact that she came at this particular time will actually be detailed next week. I just wanted to mention it this morning. Next week, Pastor Jared's going to cover exactly why it was about the sixth hour. But you need to know before we go any further that this woman was trying to avoid hearing gossip about herself. Now, secondly, it's interesting because of this reason, and it's because she came to draw physical water while Jesus was at the physical well talking about spiritual water the whole time. And she didn't really pick up on that. She did not recognize Jesus as the source of living water. So as we move to verses 11 and 12, this is the reason why she says what she says. She says, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. See, the Samaritan woman was responding like Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus in the beginning of chapter three, when Jesus was talking about being born again? And Nicodemus was like, wait, wait, hold on. Born again, like I'm going to go back into my mother's womb a second time? Now, we as believers understand that Jesus is talking about your spiritual birth, the new man, the Holy Spirit coming within you to reside in your heart. And this woman was doing the exact same thing. Jesus is talking about a spiritual truth, and then this woman is trying to tie it into something that she knows that's true in this world. But then again, never forget, this world is temporal. This world will be destroyed by fire once and for all. All the while, our Lord and Savior will create a new heavens and a new earth, which we will reside on for all of eternity. She actually, like Nicodemus then, took Jesus' words quite literally. So she asked him this question, Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob. I mean, that's kind of like a, a little bit of a, you know, a diss. You're not greater than our father Jacob. Well, oh yes, yes, Jesus is. Jesus is much greater than your father Jacob. In fact, Jacob only foreshadowed the one to come. And that one to come was Jesus himself. In fact, Isaiah predicted this in Isaiah 12, verse 3, where God's word tells us this, therefore you will joyless, joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. Jesus himself is the springs of salvation. Jacob did not offer salvation. Again, he only foreshadowed the one 
who does. Jesus. Every character in the Bible is the exact same. Every character in the Bible, I don't care who it is, Adam, Moses, Jacob, Abraham, David, it doesn't matter. Go down the line. Every character has the same responsibility in Scripture, and it's only to foreshadow the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the greater everything. He's the greater Adam, greater Moses, greater Abraham, greater David, greater Jacob. And the list goes on and on and on. So as we look at our last three verses, we understand that Jesus' response to her question is absolutely brilliant. Because he is the greater, his response is fitting. It's perfect. What does he say? He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Again, physical water only quenches thirst. Then Jesus says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. Again, living water quenches death. And hell is eternal death because hell is the deadly separation from God. Hell is described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Only living water can put out those flames. Only a God who condescended could have humanity be saved from that type of blaze. See, we were all born into that blaze. Jesus came. He brought the fight to the fire. He came to us to save us. But being born into that type of sin, or just born into being quite sinful, period, puts us in a position to always be tempted. We understand from our Sunday school this morning that God never tempts us. This comes from the book of James, chapter 1. We're already predisposed to lust after the world. We were born to want. And sometimes we give in to that temptation. But ultimately, it is our choice We have the opportunity as believers to listen to the Holy Spirit within us. When sin is identified, whether A, we will give in to the temptation before us, or B, we will choose to not. And even when we do give in to the temptation, because of the message that Jesus has been preaching this whole time, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We can repent because of God's mercy and because of God's grace. But I think each and every one of us understands that it is not easy to live in this world with the temptation that we are under. In fact, I love these words from Alan Carr as we move back to verses 13 through 15. As these verses are up on your screen, I just want to read this and just just think about what he says here as it pertains to what Jesus is actually portraying to the woman at the well. He says this, Alan Carr. This is the nature of salvation. 
One can drink of the pleasures of this world like this poor woman and will still have to try to find more ways to satisfy themselves. However, one trip to the fountain of living water will forever satisfy the thirsty soul. Coming to Jesus will forever meet the needs of life and of the heart. See, the Samaritan woman could appreciate being one and done. In fact, next week you'll realize even further why she could really appreciate being one and done. And when we say one and done, what we're referring to is the accepting of God's mercy and grace. To come to a saving faith for all of eternity is a one-time transaction. You repent from your sin and you accept the grace of faith in Jesus. That's it. Once that's done, nobody can take your salvation from you. You can't do anything to lose your salvation. You are forever a child of God. Now, the difficulty lies in that sin nature, that lust, that tendency to want to drink that physical water, right? But that physical water is only going to keep you thirsty. Now, I hope some of you are already drawing conclusions of what that physical water is. Again, the woman at the world was talking about physical water. Jesus was talking about spiritual water. But from the spiritual perspective of the physical water, that physical water can take any form you want it to in your life. It could be anything. Any pursuit that you do on your own with the absence of the Lord. So think about what it is that tempts you. And then think about where it leads. It's only going to lead you thirsty. Whereas Jesus offers the one and done solution of his living water. Next week, again, I just want to reiterate where this is leading about the sixth hour. We will detail that with Pastor Jared when that time comes. But as we close out this morning, I'm going to ask Joe to join me. Brothers and sisters, as believers, we appreciate being one and done too. We appreciate that one-time transaction. Let's face it, we fail. But I'm okay with failure. Sometimes failure is your best lessons. Failure is an opportunity to repent. And when we repent, it's an awesome opportunity to share our salvation with others. See, as we mentioned, Jesus did not come to judge the world. He came to save the world from sin. And when we recognize His mercy and when we receive His grace, our salvation is in fact one and done. Salvation is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what Jesus did. We appreciate His mercy, His condensation from heaven to earth as man as it reveals the lengths in which He's willing to go to in order to extend mercy to all who receive His grace. Therefore, we appreciate His grace. We appreciate His free gift of salvation. We appreciate that both His mercy and grace has made it so that we shall never, as it says here in our text, be thirsty. 
the water in which we draw from this earth, again, will only have us coming back for more. However, the water we draw from living water is sourced from the springs of salvation freely flowing from the bucket of Jesus. I want to look at one last verse from the Old Testament that predicts this. Numbers 24, verse 7. God's Word tells us this. Water will flow from His buckets and His seed will be by many waters. This brings us to our final point this morning. Salvation is sourced from the living waters of Jesus. Salvation is sourced from the living waters of Jesus. Again, our first point stated that the Lord uses mercy and grace to recruit His disciples. And finally, our main idea that just tied all these 15 verses into one simple sentence. That sentence states this. Physical water only quenches thirst, whereas living water quenches death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we want to be a church, a body of believers who make disciples that make disciples. Be with us, Lord. Guide us as we share your message of mercy and grace, as we share your message of repentance and your kingdom. We want to add soldiers to your army, which you are the commander of. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.